Hello and welcome, friends, to this week's edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We are Forward Radio WFMP, broadcasting from the top of the historic Hayburn Building right here in the heart of downtown Louisville. And uh, we live stream to the world. You may be listening to us somewhere out in Winchester, Kentucky, or somewhere like that, where our guest is joining us from today. Uh, you can catch us anywhere online live at forwardradio.org. And you can also get archives of all of our local shows that we produce. If you want to catch up or share with a friend, all of that is on SoundCloud. And you can find that archived at forwardradio.org. And, of course, that's the place to go to become a part of your community radio station. We want your voices behind these microphones and your talents behind the scenes as well. And you can click participate at forwardradio.org to get involved today. And maybe chip in a few bucks to help keep us on the air. We're entirely listener-supported radio. So if you love what you've been hearing, if you tuned in and you're like, good Lord, this station talks about things in a way I've never heard before. It covers issues I don't get anywhere else in the broadcast media. Well, please chip in a few bucks and uh, we can keep doing this with volunteer power and your dollars at forwardradio.org. Well, my friends, what we do on Sustainability Now is bring in folks from around the community who are doing the work of making sustainability a reality and pick their brains. And I'm really excited uh, this week to have a guest joining me to talk about the statewide scene. Her name is Jan Nappage, and she is a food system specialist in the nutrition education program at the University of Kentucky's Cooperative Extension. She's also a farmer, a small-scale farmer in Winchester, Kentucky, and uh, hails from Wolf County. And she was recently board chair of the Community Farm Alliance. And we're going to talk about all of that today with my guest, Jan. Welcome, Jan. Hi, how are you? I am great. I'm so glad to connect with you. We connected long ago while you were still board chair <laughs> of the Community Farm Alliance, and you've uh, recently rotated off, right? Yes, yes. We have elections every two years at the end of the year. And so I had finished my two-year term. So we're in that transition process right now. So I'm just moving myself back to being a member versus board member or board chair. Right, right. Now, did you serve on the board as a non-chair position before that? Yes. uh, The first year I was the secretary. And then the second year I was the board chair or president. Uh, while we're while we're on, we got a lot to talk about today. But w- while we're on the topic of CFA, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with their work. But uh, can you bring us up to speed on this fantastic statewide organization and what its mission is and how it does it? Sure. So. Community Farm Alliance was founded in the 80s during the ag credit crisis or farm credit crisis and, you know, started by a group that was just, you know, wanting to be there for farmers, for each other. And it has really grown over the years. It's a member-based organization. And really, the mission is to support family farms in Kentucky. But also nationally, um, you know, we are part of multiple national organizations that do farm and food advocacy. Right. Um, and so a big thing that I feel like CFA is known for is its policy work, trying to support bills that are going to help the small farmers, as well as the food access, you know, in Frankfurt and beyond, but also has a lot of projects that can lead to policy over time. So there are several projects going on around farm to table, helping farmers getting their products into, let's say, schools, restaurants, you know, a little bit beyond the farmer's market. Yeah. Then we have a farmer's market program that's just um, working with farmers at that scale. 
And then also food access. So things like Kentucky Double Dollars and Fresh RX for Mom, working with those limited resource Kentuckians, getting local food from our farmers to those folks' homes um, and into their meals. And, and I'm leaving out a lot, but that is just a <laughs> rundown of the work that is currently going on with CFA. Yeah. So I imagine most of our listeners are are not farmers. We've probably got a few urban farmers in our listenership, maybe a, a few folks out in the countryside as well. Uh, most of us are probably just eaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, make the connection sure. for us. Uh, and, and there are mem- many members of CFA who aren't farmers, right? Why, why should <laughs> eaters be interested in this? Why is this important work? Well, you know, looping it back to, you know, the whole premise of your show, like sustainability, eating from our neighbors who are farmers or our community members or fellow Kentuckians when possible is, is the most sustainable way to put food on our table. It not only keeps our dollars in our local economy that creates, you know, programs to come and, and, and create sustainability for those farms, but then it also, you know, mitigates how far things have traveled, right. how many miles, how many people have touched it, you know, so for folks that, you know, well, we all eat, right? But <laughs> for eaters, it's just so important when you have the capacity to, to lean into learning where your food comes from, how it's raised, you know, the different steps it took to get to your table and just engage in that. And the more we engage, the more we learn about what it means to be a farmer and what it actually means to bring that food to our table. And I feel like we're able to slowly value it more and um, we'll look at our meals differently. And so I think it's incredibly important, whether you are a farmer or not, you know, to, to lean into the local food system. I couldn't agree more. It was a it was a softball question, I'll admit. Uh, but <laughs> but but there's just when we start talking about this, you sort of realize the full scope of why this matters. I mean, real nuts and bolts way you can just say, well, to eat, I just go to the store or I go to the restaurant and I get what I get. But if we mm-hmm. really want to dig into sustainability and not, by doing not just help the planet but help each other and help ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Then we've really got to start focusing on the stuff that is grown, raised, and caught right here in Kentucky or across the river in Indiana. We'll accept them too here in Louisville, right? Uh, But our local food system, and that's really the the focus of our conversation today, is going to be discussing the local food system, why it matters, and how you can support it. Uh, That's the topic of our conversation this week on Sustainability Now. Uh, So CFA is sort of doing some of that work of supporting these small-scale producers. And I think what a lot of people maybe who, I don't know, haven't compared our Kentucky rural economy to those in other states, they might not realize that the sort of farming landscape in Kentucky is pretty unique in a lot of ways, one of which is is a lot of small-scale farms compared to other states, right? Yeah, I would say especially in eastern part of the state and even in central, a lot of folks that I know grow on, you know, some grow on half an acre and consider themselves a small scale farmer, especially probably in Louisville, even smaller urban farm plots. Oh, yeah. Um, And, you know, if you plan it right and you you get a rhythm going, you can grow a lot of food on, on tiny space. Not to say we don't have larger farms, you know, especially sure. out west where there's sure, yeah. slightly more space and things and different things are being grown there. But um, yeah, plenty of folks like the farm that we have, we have nine acres, but it is 
a hill mostly. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so we had to get creative about terracing <laughs> and different drainage and stuff because, well, one, we couldn't grow on all of it. Yeah. You know, some of it is too too steep or too marshy right. but um you know we'll probably grow on maybe a half acre out of all of that this year wow. um and we would still consider ourselves you know a market gardener or a small-scale farmer so yeah it's pretty unique especially out this way where the hills start to roll and you just gotta get creative you know when the hill blocks your sun you gotta find the best spot that you're gonna get the most <laughs> hours or things stay soggy so yeah i think that would be very it's very unique and there are all kinds of reasons for why Kentucky is agriculture scene is the way it is, one of which is historical and related to the tobacco industry, right? My understanding is that because tobacco was such a profitable crop that farm families could manage at a small scale, they were able to sustain their farm through that cash income, uh, whereas that that industry didn't exist in a lot of other states where we've seen the sort of endless consolidation and enlarging of farms that is really an agribusiness now, right? Yeah. You know, I can't speak too, too much to tobacco because I, I, I migrated here. Yeah. I've transplanted Me from too. Ohio. <laughs> but I will say, you know, it speaks volumes that we have the um, tobacco settlement money that um, goes back into our economy every year through grants and loans. And many of that goes to small farmers or like you said, agribusinesses. And I believe if my facts are correct, that all but two Kentucky counties. So, you know, um, we have 120 counties. So 118 counties um, receive some of that money from that tobacco settlement. And so that's where tobacco is grown, right? Every county where it was grown is receiving some of those funds, just depending on how much was grown. I mean, so I think that speaks volume to what you said. It it was so ingrained in us. And then the transition out of it, folks still wanted to live off the land. So what did they do? Many, not all, but transition to growing or raising something else. Yeah. So I feel like we have a really unique opportunity in in Kentucky to kind of rebuild a a regenerative, smaller scale agriculture uh, that is more sustainable, that puts people back on the land, as well as animals, too, in some cases. But we've sort of had a depopulation of rural America as as things get more and more mechanized, more and more large scale. And all of that, to me, points in the direction of unsustainability. Some people will say it points towards, quote unquote, efficiency. But that typically means a very narrow financial efficiency rather than uh, a healthy relationship with the land, right? And so I've, do you agree that, that we really have a unique potential to, to create this new, more sustainable agriculture here in Kentucky? I think so. Just speaking from folks that I know that are farmers, you know, many folks are using appropriate technology, but but in the sense of, you know, hand tools or small motorized things, you know, a lot of folks that I know, especially because of the topography, you can't have a big tractor right, out there right. or, or something. And so you got to do what you can with, with smaller tools, with your hands, with, with, you know, getting your friends to come over and help you harvest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so I feel like many folks have been able to keep some of the tradition alive and have had to get creative in other ways and not necessarily, one, like you said, be able to afford such large equipment that maybe takes us a little bit more removed from the land, but also just like it's not practical. Yeah. And so what are, you know, what is practical? And um, what of that 
you know, I learned about when I moved to Kentucky was a walk behind tractor. So when I say that, it probably sounds large, but really it's like a, a bigger rototiller, but it moves a little smoother. And that's what, you know, they call it a walk behind tractor, but you can do so much with it. And a lot of folks might not even use it to till um, like the soil, but they can use it to do a lot of um, no-till practices, like laying down a cover crop to like plant directly into, and you know, just using tools that make sense. Right. And right. I think by doing that, it keeps folks connected to the land and, and yeah. kind of keep that mission alive of um, how do I steward this along with, you know, I'm growing food to make money to, for my livelihood, right. but also have this relationship where I'm doing my very best to take care of it in the ways that I know how in a sustainable way that I'm not extracting, but I'm always trying to make it cyclical. So I'm giving back just as much as it's giving to me. Yeah. Um, and so I think you're right that we have a unique opportunity here to lean into that. And I think many, if not most folks are doing that. Um, if I've learned anything about living in Kentucky, it's folks um, appreciation and love for where they live. And a lot of that has to do with the actual land itself. And, um, you know, whether it's prairie, whether it's hills, whether it's the forest, I mean, I just meet folks and and even folks that are transplants like me moving here because of that exact reason yeah. um, and the, and that it's part of the culture. And so I think you are very much right that we have a unique opportunity here to continue to lean into it and encourage and as folks move in or or make the transition to farming or gardening, you know, to instill that in folks um, and help encourage and just grow the community that prioritizes that. We're speaking today with Jan Nappage about local food systems today here on Sustainability Now. She's a food system specialist in the nutrition education program at the University of Kentucky's Cooperative Extension and just stepped down as board chair of the Community Farm Alliance, which you can learn more about, become a member of, become involved in at cfaky.org. CFA holds an annual meeting. It was virtual this year. It just happened at the end of January. Uh, did you get to participate, Jan? I did. I actually, um, that was one of my last responsibilities. Oh. I actually kind of, em I emceed it this year. <laughs> um, cool. You know, just kept it rolling uh, with the staff. Any... So I did. And it was really good. It was a good meeting. Um, yeah. Any any highlights you want to share with our listeners from that meeting? Uh, any, any big takeaways? Well, I, I think for me, something, it's just CFA has, I don't even know what the word would be, hands in so many projects that yeah. even being on the board, sometimes I would, I still miss things. <laughs> um, and it, it always blows my mind. So I will listen to staff updates and, and they did, um, each staff member got to give an update about their programs. And I was just like, oh, that's happening. Or, oh, <laughs> we're, we're that involved in it. And it's just because it's so multifaceted and there's, you know, the food system goes all the way from the seed to the eater to the transportation and the waste and et cetera. And so trying to touch on all that, sometimes it's just keeping up. Is, <laughs> um, but I would say the maybe the biggest thing that I would encourage folks to kind of investigate on the website that you just shared is the family farm and food campaign that we have. Ooh. And it is a um, campaign where we're trying to push some policy forward around food access Ooh. and funding um, for a match for food, federal food access funds. Um, when state organizations receive them, 
that some money from the state would go in to help with the match to receive those grants. And of course, there's so much more that goes into that, but kind of the testimony for it is our work with Kentucky Double Dollars and Fresh Rx for Moms and the Farmers Market Support Program and just how much how popular those programs are and how much need there is and how continuing doing that work just needs bigger, more statewide support. Even though there is so much already, it's just growing at a rate where it just needs more. And so I would encourage folks, um, there's info on the website, but also on social media and things to just get plugged in and there's committees you can join. I think that's like one of the biggest things that we talked about at the meeting this year um, was that campaign and just trying to get more folks knowledgeable about it and more folks involved. Absolutely. C-F-A-K-Y dot O-R-G. Well, you just started talking there about some other aspects of the conversation that we definitely want to touch on when you were talking about double dollars and these programs to help improve food access and not just access to calories, right, but actual access to fresh, healthy, local food. And this is what your work is uh, with UK Extension. Uh, mm-hmm. You want to talk a little bit about about that, uh, why that's important to you? Sure. I think just at the very base level of things, why this work is so important to me is because, you know, growing up, I came from a lower, I would say lower middle class family where there were definitely times where food was a struggle. And, and, you know, as a kid, a very, very young kid, you know, my parents participated in WIC. And so I think just coming from a family where that had been a struggle at a point in my life, I wanted to kind of move forward and, and, you know, food was an interest. So of course that helps. Uh, (laughs) If we're not helping folks at all levels of the socioeconomic scale, and we're not making sure to look out for our community members, then how strong is our community really, you know? And so for me, food is like at the heart of a strong community and, and food access and um, making sure that, you know, my neighbor isn't hungry. Right. And of course, that's like long-term big work. Um, But the way that I have found myself falling into it has been around not only just farming, uh, but also just empowerment of folks to grow their own food and find their own food. So I work a lot with foraging project and Mm. a hunting project. And so, you know, to me, those are like the localists of local because those are the native things that are here that we're going to go out and find. Um. And it's also a part of Kentucky's heritage too, you know, gardening, foraging, hunting. So I I found myself in this really cool place and have just been empowered through my role with UK to lean into that and find experts on it. And how can we get this information out for folks that have maybe like their grandparents did it, but they don't feel comfortable. And so they need more information. Yeah. And so I think that just empowerment and the sharing of knowledge that is accessible is really where I have found myself. But then, of course, I like to do the hands on, too. And that's (laughs) why, you know, this lifestyle of part time farming and we sell at the farmer's market and things. So we have that. um, But that's more of my my home life, you know. Um, But then being like a community educator is kind of more my professional role, I guess, in all of this. And And so it's a neat place to be. Yeah. Sorry. No, I definitely want to ask you more about your home life and your farm too, but I'm going to save that for the end. (laughs) But let's, let's keep talking about the nutrition education program at UK Extension. And for folks who want to learn more about it, it, you can go to their website. It's at planeatmove.com. 
Uh, I, I guess those are sort of the three main themes, planning, eating, and moving of the program. Yep. Uh, but your audience is is specifically SNAP and SNAP-eligible folks, right? Tell our listeners what mm-hmm. that means. Sure. So for folks that maybe aren't familiar with SNAP, uh, that's kind of the newer term for food stamps. So right. folks that are on, um, so it's Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. People may and have so- seen signs, too, that say EBT. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that would be the card that folks receive with their allotment for each month. Right. And so our office, we don't give out the benefits. That's a totally different office in the state. But we receive federal money through the same, you know, federal group oh, okay. through the SBA, to do the education piece. And and really, um, most of my coworkers focus on um, the nutrition side um, or direct nutrition education. And I have just found myself in this fun little niche on the side that they, you know, added this position about five years ago, a year before I came on, um, to kind of link it to more agriculture and natural resources. Okay. Um, and so that's, I've kind of, I'm, I'm the bridge with help from several coworkers, I guess, to try to show that, you know, our food system is cyclical. And, and yes, we need to know what our food does for our body. And we need to, you know, menu plan and plan financially and things, but also like, where does it come from? And how do we eat? How do we find ways to eat more locally and not make it so that you have to have X amount of, you know, I have to make six figures, I'm yeah. being dramatic, like to eat local, right? Like right. there are ways I can do that affordably. Right. Um, That's become a thing. So- like the, the local food restaurants have become a thing. And a mm-hmm. lot of them are very exclusive, very, very high price. So it's easy for people to assume, well, this is for the elite, this local food thing. But actually, your messages know that we can all participate in our local food system. And there are barriers. That, let's acknowledge that. But uh, it's part of your role and CFA's role is to help reduce those barriers, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so that's like a beautiful thing. So through work with CFA and then NEP, which is our acronym for Nutrition Education Program, you know, we even partner to try to help share information about double dollars to the, we have program assistants that are in most counties. And so we'd say, hey, your county, you know, the farmer's market accepts SNAP, but it also accepts double dollars. And so make sure you get that out to your um, clients or your participants in your classes. Um, And so we try to do a lot of sharing. And of course, with any statewide thing, you're not, nobody's perfect, but we yeah. do our very best to always like cross share information. And there are other organizations too working pieces and parts in it as well. But these are the two, of course, that I'm just intimately working with. And um, yeah, so it's just, you know, like you had said, trying to lower barriers, trying to make things more realistic as much as possible. And as I said, I'll repeat myself, it's just slow work. And yeah. so sometimes you have an idea and it might take two years for it to kind of get on folks radar and get folks on board. Yeah. But what I found is there is this energy behind this. There's the energy behind making sure that it's accessible to all. And so when those folks come together, like just good work seems to come out of that. Yeah, absolutely. So. And so for people who've never been a part of the food stamp or snap system, um, it, you can't usually go to your average farmer's market and use 
your EBT card to access that food, right? The this the farmers market has to set that up, and that's an extra burden for the yeah. organizers sometimes, right? To get the machine there and all that stuff. Um, so part of this work is is helping uh, things like farmers markets break down those barriers too, and then in some cases offer these double dollar matching programs that will help even stretch those those SNAP dollars even further, right? Yes. So I would say you're very much correct that for a market to be able to accept SNAP and EBT, it is a process. And what I would say that it takes is just a committed or several committed individuals Mm -hmm. because someone has to be there with that machine. Right. And you have to, you know, there's some records you need to keep and and whatnot. The amazing thing about Kentucky is um, our Department of Agriculture works with the USDA and and works with markets to try to help um, give an EBT machine for those that go through the whole application process to be used. And so, you know, a lot of states you have to purchase the machine. That's um, a cost for the market. But in Kentucky, we have um, an awesome program where you can apply to receive one. And so that helps lower a barrier. So like at the state level, you know, there are folks working within the farmer's market and direct marketing program to make that happen for folks. Yeah. But what I have seen for markets, sometimes a, an easy entry into accepting a food assistance program would be there's a senior farmer's market nutrition voucher. Yes. That's through Kentucky, the Department of Agriculture. And that and WIC, so receiving from public health, being able to accept those has seemed a bit easier for some folks because there's no machine involved. And there's no swiping. It, it's a voucher, which actually I'm saying this, but I believe WIC is transitioning at some point, maybe this year or next to a, a card. But, you know, historically up until this year, it has been vouchers. And so it's a little easier because the farmer can sign it and it's like a check and they deposit it right, into their right. own account and it comes out of the state account. But the since SNAP is national, there's just like a little bit more. So I've seen it progress like that and SNAP might be the last one. And then after you're doing that or you're doing some of those, then they apply to do double dollars. Yeah. Because that's like a next step up and a little bit more reporting. And, and you know, you really got to have someone organized on the market end mm. to keep all the records. Yeah. So it's kind of a growing process for a market to to be able to do that. But I know many, if not all, would love to. It's just capacity. Really. Exactly. Exactly. It's not because they don't want to. But, you know. Like I- most things. Uh, yeah. Another big way that people in Kentucky access local food is through community-supported agriculture programs, CSAs, mm-hmm. where you subscribe to a farm to get a basket of fresh goods delivered to you or at a pickup point every week mm-hmm. or every other week. However, there's lots of different models, right? Um, right. How, does, how do those programs interface at all with the SNAP program? Well, you know, a good example and I am definitely not the expert on this, so I'm just going to say a little bit, but in Louisville, New Roots has the Fresh Stop Market yeah. uh, model, and that is the the sliding scale CSA. So folks that, like myself, who have this career job and could, could have probably afforded the full price of a CSA, you know, I would pay the full price, or I could opt to pay a little bit more, and if I paid a little bit more, it could subsidize folks that are you know, maybe they they could pay three fourths or two thirds of the price, and and so Fresh Shops is this awesome sliding scale just to make sure that that food is accessible. Right. So that's one way, um, or one group that I feel like does an awesome job trying to include maybe the SNAP, WIC, or that 
low-income senior audience, family, yeah. individual, whoever. But, you know, I'm not too knowledgeable. Like, I currently don't know a farm that accepts SNAP for CSAs. But I do know that farms can sign up to accept SNAP on their own. They do not have to wait for the market. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Good. All right. So that is possible. It's just if the farmer has, you know, one, the capacity and two, the motivation to do it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm talking today with Jan Nappage. She's a food system specialist at UK Cooperative Extension, and she was recently board chair on the Community Farm Alliance. We're talking about local food systems and local food access today here on Sustainability Now. Um, So, you know, you were talking earlier about how you lo- your your role in this whole thing is to connect SNAP, uh, the SNAP audience or SNAP eligible audience with the power of growing or harvesting or hunting their own food, right? Um, so mm-hmm. let's talk about that specifically. Uh, can SNAP dollars be used to support that work through things like buying seeds or plant starts or I don't know what mm-hmm. what else people would need to do the work you're talking about? That's such a good question. So yes, folks, if you receive SNAP, you can purchase food seeds. So you can't go buy flower seeds, but any kind right. of food, um, <laughs> food, vegetable, you know, fruit, vegetable, or um, herbs, you can buy those with your SNAP card. Cool. And you can also buy transplants. Again, food transplants with your EBT card. Wow. So that was a very good question. Wow. Yes. It's possible, but not everybody knows that. Okay. And then tell us a little bit about your work promoting home gardening. What does that look like? How do you help people do that? Sure. So um, on the website that you mentioned, Plan, Eat, Move, there's a Growing Your Own Garden at the top. So on there, there's about 10 publications. And with those, they're called Growing Your Own. It's the gardening series. And our goal with those has been to try to be pretty picture heavy. And we write them at like a sixth grade reading level so that it's not above anybody's head, Good, right? Good, yeah. Anybody or most folks should be able to read it and be like, okay, I get what they're trying to tell me. Because sometimes, you know, it's hard to understand things that are just so yeah. scientific and above, right? And so the goal with those is trying to make that information accessible. So the first one was, you know, how to just prepare a garden. And then the ones that follow are all, you know, peppers, broccoli, kale, you know, different specific ones that we take a deeper dive into and the ins and outs of them. And so that's a partnership between NEP and the UK Horticulture Department. Cool. And we also created a 12-month calendar that's up there as well. And there are copies of it at your local extension office. But it's dry erase, technically, if, if you have the printed copy. And you can take notes oh, um, nice. for your garden. And that also breaks down, like, garden tasks for each month so that's kind of how we started like when I started with NEP that's like was a big thing that we dove into was getting that information out there and just making it a little bit more accessible to more folks and then we have a program called a recovery garden oh yeah I wanted to ask about that what's a recovery garden sure so we um starting in 2018 with just three counties we piloted this idea and it actually from a program in Louisville oh. um, with the extension office there. So Bethany Pratt is your yes. old horticulture agent and she was working with Healing Place, the Rehabilitation Recovery Center, and they have a garden out there and it's grown and there's a high tunnel now and everything. But um, she was the inspiration that in that program and that center. And so then we've kind of slowly moved it throughout the state. And the idea is there would be you know, a committed extension office 
and a committed center, men or women, doesn't matter. And the horticulture, the agriculture agent would go in and the nutrition education program assistant. And so there would be gardening and nutrition education happening at the same center so that those folks are kind of getting, like I said, that well-rounded, where does it come from? How do we prepare it and eat, you know, make it taste good to eat? Nice. And so we've been doing that for several years now. And since COVID, and, you know, it's a little bit harder to be in person with folks (laughs) who be programming traditionally, we've put our efforts the last year, and we're still working on it, into a recovery garden toolkit. And it would be how to set up this type of program in your county. And so we're making a, a how, kind of like a how-to guide for those who are going to do the work to set it up. And so the hope is to finish that by the end of the year. And then we'll try to expand across the state once that's finished and we can host some trainings. Um, and so that's kind of where the gardening work has been really heavily the last year or so is we're also creating garden resources that go into that. So, you know, if that extension agent isn't able to be there, folks at the center feel empowered to, to look through their binder and, oh, here are some, you know, a chore list or a task list uh-huh. um, and, and just like different information that's broken down. But then also if, when folks graduate from their programs and they go home and if they decide they want to garden at home, here are all these resources for you to take for free that can help you know where to begin. Yeah. And so that's where a lot of our gardening work within NEP has been focused lately. Um, we're still making the publications, but this has been really hot and heavy lately trying to get it through so we can start moving, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's oh. kind of our gardening work currently. That's great. And of course, people don't have to grow their own. Nature grows a lot of wild edible foods for us right here in Kentucky. They're right under our noses, and we don't even recognize them as food, right? So you've got this Cook Wild Kentucky program. Tell me about that. Sure. So this is one I fell into because I am not a hunter. Um, And it started with hunting, and we've just moved into foraging. Yeah. Um, But essentially, it's a program that sprung out of a conversation with our, well, it was formerly the Kentucky Association of Food Banks, now known as Feeding Kentucky. And they receive um, one, not every pantry, so let me say that, but but many, receive um, one-pound packages of ground venison that's donated through Kentucky Hunters for the Hungry. And so they had addressed NEP and said, hey, um, you know, we get these packages, but folks that aren't familiar with cooking venison yeah. might feel a little intimidated. And so we were like, oh, we make recipes all the time. <laughs> uh, we can we can make this work. So it has snowballed. What was going to just be some <laughs> venison recipes has snowballed in a few years into um, we have 34 wild game recipes wow. spanning from, of course, venison and fish heavy because those are the most popular, but turkey, squirrel, rabbit. We have frog legs. We have a turtle one. Wow. And we just did a beaver one this last year. Holy cow. We started working on a raccoon, but it didn't make, it didn't, I think that one didn't pass yet. We got to tweak it or something. Uh So we have, I would say probably 24 of those are up on Plan Eat Move right now. The newest ones haven't been uploaded yet. Um, But also the extension offices have those. Wow. As well, actual printout cards. Um, and so that's kind of where it started. Okay, recipes. Well, we've partnered with Fish and Wildlife, and we've been doing um, trainings. Like we just had one last week, a two-day tr- virtual training on 
intro to hunting and fishing. Um, through their programming, they have a field the fork and hook and cook program. So if you're looking to get into that, that's who you want to reach out to is Fish and Wildlife. And we've done some work with 4-H and, and a, you know, they did a pilot donation hunt. So it has just moved in different ways. Yeah. And now we're working on a publication series, kind of like our Growing Your Own. But for, uh, we have a, we have a hunting one started, but we're just now starting a foraging one. And so the first one that will come out for that is a a foraging wild greens. And that's very much in draft form. Um, But that's where we're slowly moving is like, well, what can folks go out and find in most Kentucky counties? Yeah, it's a huge, huge untapped resource in our community, even right here in urban Louisville. We have things like uh, service berries planted widely as Mm -hmm. as street trees, and they're so delicious and healthy and abundant. (laughs) Uh, It's a great thing to to cue into and get that search image in your brain, and then you won't ever miss it again. Um, We're we're nearing the end of our time. A couple more things I want to quickly ask you about, and then we'll ask about your farm. Uh, Tell us quickly about the farm to school program as well. You're working with schools? Yes. So I have another website for you Okay. Um, that we're slowly launching. It's the kyfarm2school.com. And it is, I like to call it like a online dating for <laughs> farmers and food service directors. Cool. Um, and I am not the lead on that project. Okay. Uh, my, my coworkers, Jackie Walters and Michelle West are, but I just like to plug it when I can. But essentially it was, it came out of a need that we heard from both farmers and food service directors of just not knowing how to meet each other and talk sometimes. Yeah. And so essentially if you're a farmer, you can go on there and make a profile and you can share about you, about what you make or grow and raise and create. And then maybe what you're willing to grow and raise. Yeah. Cool. You, know, you put your location, like what county you're in and whatever. And um, then the food service director for the county you know, can go in and, and kind of do the same. This is our county. These are how many school students, whatever. We would love this many strawberries in May. Yeah. Or something. You know, very specifically what they want. And so we're just slowly rolling that out all in the fall. And even into this winter, we've been doing trainings for extension agents, for food service directors. We just did one for farmers at the organic conference last week. And so um, just slowly getting the word out and actually just making sure folks know it's available. So it's new and we've been working out all the glitches as like new websites go. Um, but it's up there and yeah, we would love to start, start your and- online dating. <laughs> KYFarm2School.com. Yeah. And then yes. the, the last thing you work on is farmer's markets. And I want to tie that into your own personal work too, because you, you co-founded a farmer's market, the Red River Gorge Farmer's Market. Tell us about it. Yeah, sure. So, um, so our first season was last year in 2021. And we are located at the Slade Welcome Center. So when you're coming nice. in to hike at the gorge or climb the exit 33, you know, the infamous Slade exit, we are like five seconds off the exit, oh my gosh. just across from the rest area. So you would park in the big overnight truck stop parking. And we're right in front of the new Welcome Center. And like, if you've been there enough, you know, there's also a train caboose there. So we're like next to that. And we're on Saturdays from 10 to 2, and we'll open the first weekend in May this year. So it's a farmer's slash artisan market. Oh, wow. And we're going to be open May to October. Wow. Um, I guess that has been a labor of love for myself and my partner, Kevin, this past you know year and some change. Yeah. So you on your small farm, you've been growing some produce for that uh, farmer's market. Is that right? Yes. So until this 
this season, actually going into 2022, we've been borrowing land all over. We've grown in multiple counties. <laughs> um, but we finally landed, and so we'll have our own space to like develop over time now. But yeah, we grow, you know, your traditional kind of mixed vegetables. And then we have laying hens. Oh. And then we grow some herbs. And when time allows, I also make some like value added dehydrated products. Ooh. But as you can imagine, it's all part time because we both work full time <laughs> and whatnot. So yeah, we, we have a farmer's market booth and we're thinking of potentially selling one day a week at our county market too. So um, maybe moving into a second farmer's market this year. Well, that's amazing. You don't want to grow too big too fast though, right? You always got to right. take it one step at a time as a small scale 100%. farmer. It's 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 easy to yep. get in over your head, right? <laughs> oh, and we have. And so this year is the learning of like, let's scale back so it's manageable and we're not yeah. exhausted all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, it, it, in our last minute, is there anything about your, your farming work that you that you didn't get to share about that you love to share, how you keep it sustainable and community-oriented? Sure. I think just how you learn each season yeah. about growing. Yeah. And that next season, you just have all this hope to do this slightly better than you did the year before to whatever standard you set yourself up to. So maybe it's like, I didn't do so great at composting. Yeah. Next year, I'm going to do like a little bit better. And this is the system I'm going to use because I'm really motivated to take that on. But that's like such a beautiful thing about farming is you can't do everything all at once in one year. Right. It's just, like you said, slowly moving into the system and the way that you want to grow each year. And not striving for perfection, but just striving to be a little more conscious and a little bit more um, knowledgeable each season. That's so I think perfect. that's like my favorite part, the growing of it all. Yeah. The sustainable farmer is the learning farmer uh, and, yeah. and oh my gosh, always yeah. striving to do better. That's such a great note to end on. I wish I had more time to talk with you. There's so much to talk about when we talk about local food systems. This is great. Oh, yeah. uh, Jan Nappage, it has been such a treat talking to you. Uh, best of luck in the 2022 growing and farmer's market season. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. All right, stay tuned, my friends. Coming up in just a second, your community action calendar. I've got all kinds of ideas about how you can take action for sustainability in Louisville this week. So stay tuned, my friends. Now I was a child, I walked these hills. Drank from the streams and heard the whippoorwills And I ran through the fields just as fast as I could Through rocks in the creek, up the deep green woods Climbed up on the mountain, there as fresh as could be Then my Kentucky soul fly free, fly free Fly free down from the Ohio to the big sandy and up in the mountain holler down to the big city. Gonna let my Kentucky soul fly free. Now that I'm a man, I live in the big city. It's a crazy life, don't bother me. Deep down inside, I'm still a country boy You know I gotta get back to where I was born 
Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, on your community radio station. Radio for the people, by the people. We are Forward Radio, WFMPLP, Louisville. You know, we've been broadcasting from here in the Hayburn Building at 106.5 FM and live streaming at forwardradio.org since April of 2017. In fact, it was April 9th, and that means our fifth anniversary my friends, is right around the corner. And we're going to be having a pledge drive, and there's going to be all kinds of great premiums you can pick up on starting at the end of March. And we're going to have a big party on April 9th. So uh, stay tuned to Forward Radio for all the details coming up. I'll be sure to tell you about them right here on Sustainability Now. Well, I hope you've got your pencils sharpened and your calendars out because this could be your week to get engaged in sustainability here in Louisville. Coming up this Wednesday and next Wednesday, March 2nd as well, it's the UofL Black Film Festival every Wednesday through March 2nd. It's free in the Student Activity Center at UofL up on the third floor in the Floyd Movie Theater. All screenings are at 5 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. on Wednesdays. And the Floyd is partnering with multiple organizations on campus for a series of films chronicling the history of black cinema from the silent era to today. It's free and open to the public, and you can even meet representatives from on-campus cultural organizations. You can find full details at events.louisville.edu. But coming up this Wednesday, February 23rd, it's a really important documentary film called Slay the Dragon chronicling the history of gerrymandering in America, its effects on the electoral process, and those fighting to save the system. Really important documentary this Wednesday at UofL. It's free at 5 or 7.30 p.m. in the Floyd Theater in the Sack, and it wraps up on March 2nd with In the Heat of the Night, starring Sidney Poitier. Also, coming up this week, February 23rd through March 4th, is the third annual Virtual Kentucky Proud CSA Fair. That's Community Supported Agriculture. Those great programs where you subscribe to a farm in advance, get those farmers the cash they need right at the planting season, and gets you a box of fresh local food delivered to your doorstep or your community uh, weekly or bi-weekly. There's all kinds of different models of CSAs. And this virtual Kentucky Proud CSA Fair is taking place on a Facebook group called at facebook.com slash groups slash KYCSA Fair. F-A-I-R. 
This virtual event will feature CSA's offerings across the bluegrass and work to connect consumers like you to family farmers in your area. Members of the Facebook group can expect to learn about Kentucky farmers in the region, seasonal foods, and ways you can buy directly from a family farm through a CSA program. You can learn more at kyfarmshare.org. It is the season, my friends, to make these investments in your local family farmers to support a healthy growing season and make sure that you're getting fresh local organic possibly organic food go to kyfarmshare.org now coming up on friday the 25th at noon the university of louisville invites you onto campus in the main extra library for the eco reps lunch and learn on humane education you can join us for these monthly workshops featuring locals making a difference in sustainability and a free homemade vegetarian lunch our february workshop features uofl's own women's and gender and sexuality studies professor dr tammy harbolt dr Dr. harbolt is a certified humane educator and started a non-profit in humane education she has also served as a member of wags pet therapy of kentucky since 2008. She will talk about the efficacy of humane education as a gateway to an environmental ethic in education. She'll also give a breakdown of the difference between service, therapy, and emotional support animals and their presence in the workplace. And of course, she will have a service animal with her. There'll be a dog joining us in Extram Library, room 254 at noon on Friday. And you can learn more at louisville.edu slash sustainability. We gather for these EcoReps Lunch and Learns on the last Friday of every month at noon in Extra Library Room 254. And they're always free and open to the public. Coming up next weekend, Saturday, February 26th, it's a community research expo from 2 to 4 online. You can join the Root Cause Research Center online on Saturday at 2 to learn about new community research projects led by community leaders organizing against racial capitalism, housing injustice, and policing in Louisville. Learn from community researchers Woody Pryor, Joni Woodard and Mario Gardner, and our partners doing grassroots organizing throughout the South by attending the second annual Community Research Expo webinar. During the event, you'll learn more about how black homeowners have been dispossessed of land in Kentucky, both historically and today. How police departments and universities collaborate to manufacture data and research tenant organizing in Kentucky and Tennessee. The keynote speaker will be Jerome Scott, revolutionary scholar, organizer, and founding member and former director of Project South, Institute for the Elimination of Poverty and Genocide in Atlanta, Georgia. Featured partners include Activest, Louisville Metro Councilperson Ja'Cory Arthur, Bedford County Listening Project, Clothe the West, Eastern Kentucky Mutual Aid, Historically Black Neighborhood Assembly, No LMPD, Party for Socialism and Liberation, Rowan County Listening Project, and more. The Root Cause Research Center works at the intersections of property and policing to help build a multiracial base of poor and working class tenants in the U.S. South. 
They help build structured tenant campaigns and produce knowledge and solidarity with communities under threat of displacement, surveillance, and police violence. Tickets are free, but virtual seating is limited, so they encourage you to register at rootcauseresearch.org, or you can just watch them live on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash rootcauseresearch, and again, that's this Saturday the 26th, 2 to 4 p.m. for the Community Research Expo. Now, also on Saturday, February 26th, in the morning from 9 a.m. to noon, there's going to be a Metro Division of Community Forestry Citizen Forester 101 training. Get certified to lead small teams of volunteers at future tree plantings. In this class, you'll learn all about the state of Louisville's urban tree canopy, how to plant a tree properly, and how to lead volunteer groups on planting days. You can register at tinyurl.com slash LOU urban forestry dash volunteer. That's tinyurl.com slash Lou urban forestry dash volunteer or by using the my impact app and you can find the link at bestparksever.com or you can call contact sarah flarsheim tyler at 502-901-8191 and the saturday 9 a.m to noon citizen forester 101 training is taking place out at 9300 whips mill road now even if you don't do the Citizen 101 Forester 101 training, you can join us for some downtown volunteer tree plantings. I just did one yesterday on a beautiful day with a whole bunch of volunteers with Metro Parks and the Division of Community Forestry. They've got two more dates coming up this spring when you can help us plant trees. Coming up on Sunday, March 6th from 1 to 4, they'll be planting 50 trees along East Jefferson Street with a meetup at 720 East Jefferson. And then on Sunday, the March 20th, it wraps up 1 to 4 p.m. with another Phoenix Hill neighborhood planting location to be determined later. You can learn more about all of these opportunities at bestparksever.com. Now, the other Black History Month film series I want you to know about is wrapping up this Sunday. It's been every Sunday in February at 1.30 at the main public library on York Street, right next to us here at Forward Radio, downstairs in the Centennial Room. The UofL Health Sciences Center Office of Diversity and Inclusion, in conjunction with the Louisville Free Public Library, is hosting this Black History Month film series every Sunday and it's followed by a panel discussion and they're wrapping it up on Sunday the 27th at 1.30 p.m. with the film The Last Black Man in San Francisco, a recent film uh, about a young man searching for home in the changing city that seems to have left him behind starring Jimmy Falls, Jonathan Majors and Rob Morgan. You won't want to miss it. It's a great film and there'll be a great discussion afterwards this Sunday at 1.30 p.m. in the main library down in the Centennial Room. You can find the link for more information and registration if you want to. It's free, though, at lfpl.org slash bhfilms. And also want to remind you of the deadline coming up this Monday, February 28th. It's the deadline to apply for the Louisville Sustainability Council's microgrant program that offers grants to support innovative entrepreneurial projects and programs 
to plan for the impact of climate change on our most vulnerable citizens while supporting community equity and resilience. Recipients will receive between $500 and $5,000 towards their project, and they'll have access to Louisville Sustainability Council events, programs, mentors, and the opportunity to partner their work with the LSC initiatives. Application requirements? Well, it has to be anyone in the Louisville metro area who can apply, including individuals, institutions, businesses, and nonprofit organizations. Students and entrepreneurs are especially encouraged to apply. Each submitted program or project must directly align with climate change equity and or community resilience. The proposed activities must largely take place in the greater Louisville metro area. Projects can be new or existing, but preference is given to projects that are innovative, impactful, and sustainable. The council is particularly interested in supporting local projects or programs that have shown early signs of success, and applicants must complete the online application by the deadline coming up on February 28th. And the, the, that's when the submission window closes and the award notifications will go out April 1st. You can get the full details and application at louisvillesustainabilitycouncil.org slash sustainability fund. Monday, February 28th is also the deadline to nominate your building or project for the Kilowatt Crackdown. The Louisville Energy Alliance challenges business building owners and operators in the greater Louisville area to realize the benefits of energy efficiency by participating in the annual kilowatt crackdown. It's easy. All you have to do is benchmark your facility's energy use with Portfolio Manager, which is EPA's free online benchmarking tool. With global temperatures on the rise, it's now more important than ever to create efficiencies and cut energy costs that will not only help the planet, but help you save money. Don't miss this opportunity to get recognized for your energy savings efforts. Nominate your building or project today at LouisvilleEnergyAlliance.org. And the Monday, the Monday is the deadline. And also want to remind you about the Louisville Climate Action Network's book club just in time for spring. The Elcan Book Club will discuss the Climate Conscious Gardener from the Brooklyn Botanical Garden. They'll be talking about it virtually at 7 p.m. on Thursday, March 3rd. It has 112 pages of practical ideas and advice you can use, whether you grow lawn, fruits and vegetables, flowers and trees or shrubs. Get reading now and be ready for a fantastic discussion on March 3rd. If you're not already an LCAN Book Club member, just complete the online form at LouisvilleCAN.com. LouisvilleCan.org to receive a login link for attending the discussion about the Climate Conscious Gardener on March 3rd. And I also finally want to remind you that the Division of Community Forestry is offering free trees, up to 50 trees for any Louisville Neighborhood Association. And you'll be planting those trees along the right of way. The trees need to be planted by April of this year. So hurry up and contact the Division of Community Forestry to get started by emailing them at communityforestry at louisvilleky.gov. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. Ah, thank you so much for tuning in. It's been great having you along with me for this ride. And I will be back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Survive in the a little bit of no, just